I remember my first cruising experience 20 years ago. Cindy and I went on a four-day, three-night cruise to the Bahamas, sailing from Florida. It was an amazingly cheap ticket in December to go to the Caribbeans, in the neighborhood of about 350 U.S. dollars, all in with food and lodging. So we booked a ticket, drove to Florida from Texas, and boarded the ship. Cindy and I kept wondering why the cruise was so cheap. Well, after the cruise ship left the port, we soon found out. Apparently, experienced cruisers know you don't go cruising the Bahamas in December because of the rough waters brought about by the shifting winds. So instead of a romantic, wonderful experience on our first cruise experience, we spent most of our four days and three nights in our cabin wishing we had never gotten onto the ship, feeling nauseated and seasick the entire time. We could not enjoy the food served and could not wait to get off as soon as possible. This experience of ours was on a modern-day ship with stabilizers, and still it was tough for us. You can just imagine how bad it would have been on a ship more than 2,000 years ago with no modern navigational equipment, ballast, or stabilizers, only a sail and rudder. Then think about running into a massive storm in open ocean that lasts not only for a few hours or even three to four days, but for more than two weeks. That would be a horrible experience. Perhaps that image accurately describes what you're going through in life right now. You can't wait for the storms in your life to be over. You just want things to calm down and for there to be peace and quiet. And yet the storms rage on. And now, you just want to survive. What are the things we are to remember when we go through live storms that will help us survive? That's what we want to take a look at as we continue our sermon series, Voyager, looking at the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul as recorded in the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Acts chapter 27 as we look at some biblical principles for surviving live storms. Acts chapter 27, we're going to take a look at verses 1 to 44. I read now verses 1 to 6. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of Adramitium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coasts of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. When we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. After having appealed to Caesar and being sent to Rome by Governor Festus, Paul now left Caesarea under the watch of a centurion named Julius and his men. Paul had some traveling companions on this journey to Rome, including Luke, the physician, who wrote Acts and would give a first-person detailed account of what happened on the journey to Rome, as well as Aristarchus. This traveling group boarded a ship and traveled to the port city of Myra in Asia Minor and there found another ship from Egypt heading to Italy. This was a grain ship and, as we'll find out later, had 276 people on board. 
verse 7 to 10. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmoni. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Because of the changing wind pattern that came with the changing of the seasons from summer to fall, they arrived on the island of Crete with great difficulty. The ship waited for the weather to improve, but after a long time without any improvements, it seemed this ship had missed the window in the sailing season for them to sail northwest to Italy. Because Paul had been involved in multiple shipwrecks, as 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25 tells us, and also was a seasoned sea traveler who had taken more than 11 sea journeys as recorded in Acts, he advised the captain of the ship that they stay the winter at Fair Havens, or else the voyage would end in disaster with the loss of ship, cargo, and lives. There doesn't seem to be any indication in the biblical text that Paul received the divine warning from the Lord to avoid moving on at this time. It was just common sense on the part of Paul. After assessing the situation, Paul said, I perceive, implying, this is my opinion, and I think it's best that we don't travel now. For him, there was no need to take unnecessary risks with the sailing season essentially over. But look at verses 11 to 14. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Euryclidon. The Bible tells us that the centurion rejected Paul's advice and instead listened to the captain and the majority of those on the ship who desired to press on with the trip from Fair Havens, even if it was to find a more suitable harbor to spend the winter in, like the harbor in Phoenix Crete, about 45 miles further west. Perhaps there were financial incentives or rewards to get the grain and the people to Italy as soon as possible. They took a day of favorable winds as a sign that they should press on in their journey against the warnings of the Apostle Paul. And as they went to sea, suddenly a large storm developed in the Mediterranean Sea, and the ship ran right into the storm. Euryclidon, or Euryclo in Latin, is a cyclonic, tempestuous northeast wind which blows in the Mediterranean, mostly in autumn and winter. Wind forces were on the magnitude of typhoon and hurricane intensity, and the winds now took control of the ship. These verses illustrate an important biblical principle about storms of life, and it is this. Number one, oftentimes we experience life storms when we don't heed wise warnings. Oftentimes, we experience life storms when we don't heed wise warnings. 
in life, the storms of life we encounter are not always unexpected and sudden. Many times they come because we do not heed wise advice and warnings. That's why throughout the Bible, there's so many warnings and admonitions. They come from a loving God who wants to help us avoid life's storms and problems. But of course, we often don't heed those warnings, and then ironically, we wonder why God would allow us to enter and encounter storms in life. Now, I'm not saying that all that we experience is because we are disobedient and don't heed wise warnings. All I'm saying is that many times we put ourselves in difficult and challenging situations because we do not seek advice or heed warnings. Earlier this week, I was at Virtus Mall to run some errands. I was walking on the fourth floor and was so engrossed looking down at my cell phone that I walked right smack into one of the mall's columns and hit my head. I looked up, saw the column I'd walked into, and instinctively murmured out loud, who put that column there? I caught myself and then laughed at how silly I must have sounded if someone was with me and heard what I just said. The column was there to hold up the building. I should have been looking up from my phone as I walked to see that it was there and to avoid it. You see, I've been warned countless times by my wife, Stephen, don't walk while using your phone. That incident reminds me of this first principle. Oftentimes, we experience life storms when we don't heed wise warnings. The centurion and sailors didn't heed Paul's warnings and got themselves caught in a major storm. Now, you may think to yourself, why would the centurion listen to Paul, a preacher, when experienced sailors were telling him something else? That is a good question. That is where wisdom comes in. The centurion should have realized that maybe these sailors had ulterior motives or financial motivations to give the advice they did. Just because they are the best or the most experienced at what they do doesn't mean they cannot make mistakes or misjudge the situation. It was common knowledge that you don't set sail when the sailing season was already over. The winds had already shifted since they left the port of Myra. They were playing a game of chances, and just because there was one good day of favorable winds doesn't mean all was well. Paul's advice was good and wise advice. Nothing would be gained by pushing their luck and taking chances in this situation. They would still get to Rome, but simply delayed by a few weeks. We see it all too often in life when people rush things, when they don't take time to seek wise counsel, when they don't plan in advance, when they don't take the time to listen even from those who give opposing ideas, then it should be no surprise when they encounter major problems because they put themselves into the storms of life by not heeding wise warnings. You know, it's funny at times that what seems so obvious to everyone else is not to the person making the decisions. They are generally surprised when something goes wrong, when everyone already knew it would be a disaster. In life, don't expect God to always come to the rescue to bail you out if you haven't listened to Him or to the people He has surrounded you with who has the wisdom to give you good and sound advice. In this case, if you take the chance to set sail 
in late fall or early winter, then chances are you will run into a major storm, and it should not be a surprise. You know, my friends, oftentimes God reveals His will for us when we use our brains. God reveals His will for us when we use our brain. That means use common sense, heed the warnings, listen to others, even if it is something you don't want to hear. It will help you avoid a lot of issues. I read again verses 9 to 11. Now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. In these verses, we can find another biblical principle about life storms, and it is this, number two. Sometimes, the decisions and actions of others bring storms into our lives. Sometimes, the decisions and actions of others bring storms into our lives. Paul told the centurion that if they sailed, the voyage would not end well, and ship, cargo, and even lives would be lost. And yet, because Paul was a prisoner under the charge of the centurion, whatever decision he made, Paul had to follow, and all the people on that ship would experience the same results of his decision. This principle helps us understand that sometimes the things that happen to us is not because of our own doing, but because of the decisions and actions of others. While that's not fair, that is the reality of the situation. All we can do is to ensure that we remain faithful to our calling as Christian witnesses to the world. For example, being married to someone, if one of the spouse falls into infidelity and adultery, or has a gambling problem, or has a bad reputation in society, then the other spouse will naturally be dragged into their mess and perhaps even their children. If parents make a bad decision for their family, then the children suffer. If a child does something that is bad and dishonors the Lord, it will often affect the rest of the family, and naturally people will cast aspersions on the parenting skills of the parents, even if the parents had nothing to do with the child's foolish decisions. In another example, if our boss makes the wrong decision, the entire company could go out of business and everyone could lose their jobs. Nokia is such a case. In the late 1990s and early 2000s, the Finnish company was the number one mobile maker. In the third quarter of 2007, Nokia's market share was 48.7%. But by the second quarter of 2013, six years later, the company's market share had slipped to just 3.1%. Near the end, the company, with the most beloved, innovative phones, didn't even own their own headquarters anymore. Now, it's easy to say that the iPhone crushed them, but Nokia was a historically adaptive and innovative company. Their decline was multifaceted, short-sighted management, refusal to shift strategies, complete reliance on past strengths. The list goes on. One mistake after another slowly chipped away at the company until there was nothing left to fix, and thousands lost their jobs. It's highly unfair, but this is the situation we may be put in 
when the decisions and actions of others bring trouble into our lives, even if we didn't cause any of it. But we need to be willing to understand and accept this reality, or else we may grow bitter and angry. In those times, again, our role is to continue to cling on to Christ, where our true identity is found, and to be a godly witness to the world while going through these storms. I read now verses 15 to 20. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on the Syrtis sands, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. As the ship was now fully in this terrible storm, the sailors tried various things to keep the ship from capsizing. They repositioned the lifeboat, which was taking on water and dragging the ship. They secured the wooden planks with cables as these wooden planks were coming apart because of the wind and waves. And they tried to lighten the ship and have it sit higher in the water by tossing the cargo overboard so that the ship would not run aground with the many sandbars. It was no longer a fight to get the precious cargo to its destination. It was a fight to keep the ship afloat and to save their own lives. In what must be the most depressing verse in this entire chapter, Luke described in verse 20 the moment when they were so tired of fighting the storm for so many days in a losing battle that they accepted their fate that they would all die in the storm. Can you imagine being the captain of the ship or the centurion, thinking to yourself, if only we didn't leave the port of fair havens as Paul had advised, the regret the sadness, the frustration that there's nothing you can do to save yourself and the people under your care. And then just thinking and dwelling on how death would come to you and to the others. Would it hurt? Would the suffering be long? Oh, the depressing mind games that must have been going on on that ship as a sense of dejection came over all those aboard. And just then, look who speaks up. I read now verses 21 and 26. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore take heart, men, for I believe God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. The Apostle Paul addressed the ship. He wasn't gloating when he said they should have listened to him, but his point was that they should have listened to him then, as he was right, but in any case, they should learn their lesson and listen to him now. Paul assured them that all would be well. They should be encouraged, for while the ship would be lost, 
all of them would survive. If you were on that ship, you would say, now hang on, Paul, come again. You're saying that everyone will be saved, but that the ship will be shipwrecked? It would be more believable if you told us that this ship would survive the storm and we would all be saved. But it flies in the face of logic that all would be saved, but the ship would be lost. Because logically, if the ship was lost, all would be lost. For example, if you were on a plane, what announcement from the pilot would you want to hear? Number one, the plane will crash, but don't worry, you will all survive. Or number two, the plane will have a very hard landing, and some of you may be severely hurt. I would think most of us would prefer number two, but the guarantee that all will be well is in announcement number one. Perhaps sensing how unbelievable this statement was to accept, Paul confirmed that an angel from the true God that he served had told him that very night that he would make it to Rome and all those in the ship would be saved as well. Essentially, Paul was saying, every one of you will be saved because God wants me in Rome. From this truth, we can extrapolate our third biblical principle about life storms. Number three, God's sovereign will prevails over any storms of life. God's sovereign will prevails over any storms of life. This is such a comforting truth that whatever I'm going through, even if brought about by my own foolish decisions or what others did or decided, it is God's sovereign, loving, and perfect will that will carry the day and come to pass. So I don't need to worry. I can simply trust Him. You know, it's funny, but I can't tell you how many times it has happened that when I enter an airplane and I meet someone I know, which is often, that they will tell me, Pastor, I'm glad that you are on this flight. I will ask them why. And their answer is often, because if a pastor is on my flight, then this plane isn't going to crash. Have any of you who have traveled with me or another pastor ever thought this? I always smile or laugh, tell them the Lord is with us, and then wish them a good flight. But I think to myself, what am I, a lucky charm to people? Although I wouldn't mind if any of you are flying to the Maldives and wanted to bring along your own personal pastor, I would be more than happy to accompany you if you paid for my trip to ensure that you arrive safely. Although when they tell me that, I'm sometimes tempted to tell them, but what if it's God's will that my time on earth is over on this flight? Then I guess I'm taking the rest of you down with me. Of course, I don't say that or else it would make them really nervous and uncomfortable flying with me. I hope you see my point. It doesn't matter if the Apostle Paul or any pastor is on your plane or ship. What is most important is that you understand that we don't have to worry so much when we go through life storms because God's sovereign will prevails. And His will comes from a heart that is loving, protective, caring, and desiring of our best. Now look with me at verse 25 again to see how Paul encouraged his shipmates. Therefore take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. Paul declared that his full faith was in the Almighty God and in his word and promise when he told me that we would all survive because he wanted me in Rome. 
In the same way, Paul wanted his shipmates to place their faith and trust in his God and to believe in his promises. Because at the end of the day, what else do you have to cling on to? These sailors and the people in the ship were resigned to the reality that they would all die because of the storm. They had tried everything they humanly knew what to do, but they were still in big trouble. My friends, often when we go through life storms, it is made very clear to us that we cannot trust in our own power, skills, resources, and intelligence to get out of the storms. We have to place our trust in the God who alone has the power to save us and help us. You see, our fourth biblical principle when facing life storms is the reminder that number four, faith in God and in His Word are the only things we can cling onto in the storms of life. Faith in God and in His Word are the only things we can cling onto in the storms of life. My friends, whatever you're going through, whatever hardship you have, whatever challenges you encounter, whatever relationship problems you are experiencing, in those times, draw near and close to the Lord. Read His Word. Seek His help. Stop struggling for control and turn over the wheels of your life to Him and let Him take control. Greg Brzezina writes, Recently, I saw the movie The Perfect Storm. This true story occurred in 1991 when a Category 5 hurricane combined with a cold front from Canada on the Massachusetts coast to form a hundred-year storm, thus the perfect storm. The movie centered around the captain and crew of a 90-foot fishing boat. You see, the owner of the boat had publicly embarrassed the captain and crew because their previous catches of fish were inadequate. The crew responded to the rejection like many who performed for acceptance. Their frustrations were calmed with the hope of performing better next time. The next time came, and they caught a large catch of fish. But when the ice machine on board broke, they were forced to stop fishing and head for home. It was then that they were alerted to the intensity of the storm between them and their port. The captain gave his crew two options. They could safely wait out the storm, let the fish spoil, and be humiliated again, or they could try to sail through the storm and be honored for their great catch. In the movie, money and success were more valuable to them than their lives, so they entered the storm. The storm pounded them with huge waves, which they fought with all their strength. However, their strength was inadequate. With a battered boat, they tried to exit the storm, but it was too late. They were caught, and their boat capsized. Fatigued and frustrated, they surrendered to the sea, and they died. It wasn't a pleasant movie, but it clearly reminded me of the times life storms have capsized me. For years, I fought life storms with all of my strength. But fatigued with fighting storms, I finally burnt out. I told God that I was tired and wanted Christ to return and rapture me out of my miserable Christian experience. Little did I know that at this low point of my life, I was about to make a great spiritual discovery. My surrender was all God needed to still the storm in me. Then he opened my mind to understand 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8-9, to which says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. 
Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God. Wow, what an amazing truth. God allows us to be burdened beyond what we can bear so that we can learn how to live out of His strength and not our own. My friends, faith in God and in His promises are the only things we can cling onto when we are in the storms of life. I read now verses 27 to 32. Now when the fourteenth night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. And they took soundings and found it to be twenty fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they took soundings again and found it to be fifteen fathoms. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea, under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. Encouraged by Paul's words, they pressed on to keep the ship afloat. But nearing land, the Bible tells us, some of the sailors thought to escape from the ship in the only lifeboat on the ship, as they feared that the larger ship would be wrecked upon the rocks near the land. But Paul realized that the ship needed the experienced sailors to steer the ship so that all would be saved. So he told the centurion about the planned escape, and Julius commanded his soldiers to cut away the lifeboat so the soldiers would be forced to stay on board the ship. Verse 33 to 38. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. So when they'd eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. Paul knew that after 14 days of fighting the storm, with no appetite to eat, they all needed to eat. They needed strength to stay alive. Because imagine how exhausted everyone would have been after two weeks of trying to survive. So Paul ate to show the people what they needed to do. Paul was going to be strengthened for what lie ahead, and he did his part to survive. Through his actions, the 276 individuals on board were encouraged and also did the same thing. Paul's example showed that just because he knew that in God's sovereign will, he and the rest would survive, that didn't mean he didn't have to do anything. He could not abdicate his human responsibilities. You see, there's a tension and balance between sovereignty and responsibility. Just because of the truth of God's sovereign will doesn't mean I don't have to fulfill the God-given human responsibilities I have. Paul needed to eat to be strengthened to survive what came ahead. And this is our fifth biblical principle when encountering life storms. Number five, doing our part and trusting in God are not mutually exclusive in live storms. Doing our part and trusting in God are not mutually exclusive in live storms. 
That means that when you're going through the storms of life with God's help, He expects that you will have to do your part as well. While it's good to commit time to prayer during life storms, know that prayer isn't a substitute for taking necessary actions as well. For example, if you're praying for a job, God is expecting you to also be actively looking for a job as you update your resume or CV and engage in job interviews. If you're praying that God will give you wisdom in a major test or in a board exam, you should also be studying well and getting a tutor if you need one. If you're praying that God will restore your marriage relationship to be healthier, it may involve you getting counseling together or seeking the help of others. Often, my friends, our prayers are answered by God when we take up our responsibilities. We cannot be so spiritually minded that we do not do the earthly responsibilities God has given us. Remember, doing our part and trusting in God are not mutually exclusive in life's storms. I read now verses 39 to 44. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed the bay with the beach, on which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea, meanwhile loosing the rudder ropes. And they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. These verses tell us that as the Lord had promised Everyone survived the shipwreck and made it safely onto land. The soldiers had in mind to kill the prisoners under their guardianship, afraid that they would escape in the swim to land. But the centurion did not allow it because he wanted to save the life of Paul. Now, we don't exactly know why the centurion would want to save Paul's life. But looking back at these verses, it would be easy to see why. Because of Paul's life. Paul demonstrated wisdom in his advice, faith in God in times of trouble, leadership to rally a people who had lost hope, commitment and care for those on the ship, whether sailor, soldier, ministry friend, unknown passenger, or fellow prisoner, and most evidently demonstrated a close walk with God, that God would send an angel to encourage him. The centurion saw the faith walk of Paul and perhaps wanted to have him around for the rest of the journey to Italy and then Rome. And this is our sixth biblical principle for what happens in life's storms. Number six, our faith walk is most clearly seen by others in how we handle life's storms. Our faith walk is most clearly seen by others in how we handle life's storms. My friends, when going through times of trouble and stresses, our faith is most evident. Our walk with Christ, or lack of it, is most clearly seen when we are in life's storms. There is no greater an opportunity to show a life lived for Christ to a world that is watching in how we handle adversities, challenges, and difficult times. What does your faith look like? 
when you are in the storms of life. My friends, when the storms of life hit, remember to cling tightly to Jesus because His footing is sure and the storm will pass. But remember, number one, oftentimes we experience life's storms when we don't heed wise warnings. Number two, sometimes the decisions and actions of others bring storms into our lives. Number three, God's sovereign will prevails over any storms of life. Number four, faith in God and in His Word are the only things we can cling on to in the storms of life. Number five, doing our part and trusting in God are not mutually exclusive in life's storms. And number six, our faith walk is most clearly seen by others in how we handle life's storms. My friends, if we're going through storms today, may we press on as we cling to the rock that does not move, Jesus Christ. And through our dependence on Him, the world will see that they too can look to Jesus when they encounter life's storms. Because if Jesus is in the boat, it will not sink. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for the reminder of what You do for us when we enter the storms of life. When we're in those storms, sometimes we get disoriented, we get dejected, we get discouraged, we feel hopeless. Help us to cling on to You and to Your promises that You will always be with us. Father, we acknowledge that in those times, our faith is tested. May it be that our faith walk is so sure because we cling to the rock, Jesus Christ, that does not move. Help us to be prepared for those times because the world will be watching. Help us to show that our dependence on You is secure and that with You all will be well, regardless of what we go through. Challenge Your people as we've studied Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.